0: Bucks never stop here. You're listening to Green
1: and Growing, hosted by Sparky Pfeiffer and Nathan Marzion. Hey, it's Sparky Pfeiffer, 1250 a.m. The fan, beautiful Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and a beautiful night for Bucks basketball. 64 points for Giannis tonight, a new Bucks uh, career single game scoring record, surpassing Michael Red from years and years and years ago. Uh, and joining me, uh, filling in for Nathan Marzion, who is at the game tonight, is Brian Sampson of Bucks Film Room. Follow him on Twitter at Bucks Film Room. Of course, also writes for Forbes and Daringland Express. Uh, first time being on Green and Growing uh, for Brian. First time of me interviewing him in general. I think my guy Bart Winkler has had you on uh, in the past, if memory serves correct. Is that is that right, Bart or uh, Brian? No, no, I don't think so. I think this is my first time making making any of the rounds. All right, all right. Sounds maybe good he up. did. My memory's not the best either, so maybe... Okay, that's all right. Uh, either way, I- I'm glad you're on. I enjoy your Twitter account and your writing and everything that you do. So the Bucks win tonight 140-126 to 126, uh, over the Indiana Pacers. Uh, and first, I- I'd like, before we get into Giannis uh, and the craziness that ensued after the game, him running up the tunnel towards Carlisle and the team and all that nonsense that's going on, I, I-, I want to first start off, I want to go back to the first quarter and the shoulder hit, forearm hit into Halliburton for no apparent reason. Uh, and then they get separated and they seem fine. Everything is fine, whatever. And Marcus Johnson, who was making it sound on the Bally Sports Wisconsin broadcast says, you want to run your mouth, young man? Fine, but we're going to let you know who's boss. And then you fast forward a couple minutes and then Portis goes up for a shot and comes down with his right hand and pops the dude in the nose, Jackson in the nose, uh, gives him a bloody nose. It was just interesting that, the Bucks came out as the aggressor. The Bucs came out as the chippy team uh, and really kind of set the tone early on. Uh, and really, from that point forward, kind of had control of this basketball game. Uh, and the young Indiana Pacers couldn't kind of get their way, I guess, back into the lead at any point after that. Marcus Johnson said, it had to have been planned. Like, they had to come in thinking, we're going to try and, I don't know, I'd say punk them, but pretty much kind of intimidate them and let's see how they react because, That's similar to what the Lakers did in that championship game of the uh, in-season tournament championship game. Your thoughts, Brian, on how that whole thing started?
2: I like it. I like that energy and passion that the Bucks showed to start with. They really need that. I actually had just written an article today at Forbes, how they need to change their mindset from being the hunted to become the hunter. This is a team that lost in the first round of the playoffs last year. They have a lot to prove. So I like that. Indiana did a lot of talking. Uh, Halliburton did that Dame time celebration at the end of their last game. And Dame talked a little bit about that in his post-game interview. But I think I mean, Dame's, Dame's one that he's not going to give you a lot, right? He's just kind of even keel. But he, you take that personal when somebody mocks your celebration, when they outplayed the Bucks in that in-season tournament game, they really out-hustled them, outworked them. Milwaukee remembered that feeling, and they remembered what it was like, how Indiana was celebrating, how they approached that. So I think they wanted to send that message early that, hey, we, we are at the top of the food chain. You all are below us. You have to remember that. And so I think they wanted to knock them down a, knock them down a notch or two.
1: It was interesting. I, I was listening to uh, NBA radio, uh, Scalabrini, uh, his morning show after the game, after the last game, Bucks and Pacers. And there were some Bucks fans that were calling into the show saying, man, they, they just they didn't care as much as the Pacers. Like, this wasn't a big deal. To the Pacers, it was probably everything to try and prove themselves to everybody to get in that championship game. It just didn't feel like the Bucks cared nearly as much as the Pacers. And I would say tonight, the Bucs probably cared more than the Pacers did coming into this game. The Pacers coming down off of getting the championship game kind of back into regular season mode, relaxing a little bit, and the Bucs have been licking their chops, circling this game probably since they lost that game, knowing they're going to get them at 5 serve for them, and saying, we are going to teach this young team that we're still the team to deal with in the Eastern Conference and don't get all the thinking you're going to beat us in a playoff series or anything of the sort. And I think this was definitely a statement game from this Bucks basketball team.
2: Yeah. These two teams still play two more times this year, because of that in-season semifinal game where they matched up, they have five games against each other. Indiana took the first two, so this or this rivalry isn't over. I was just looking it up. They actually play again on January 1st and January 3rd, so all the hoopla, everything that happened tonight is going to be fresh in their minds in two weeks when they when they battle, or three weeks, whenever that is, when they battle two more times. So That tiebreaker is important because Milwaukee needs to win out here if they are ever going to be in a position where they're tied with the Pacers, either at the top of the division or in playoff standing. So I think that I wonder, I wonder if their mindset was looking forward to the postseason as well, as well as what had happened previously in their in their first two matchups when Indiana really, really took it to them.
1: No surprise necessarily that Giannis was able to have his way with the Pacers. This is kind of what Nathan Marzian uh, was talking about going into that last matchup, which is he can get to the rim at will. There's nobody that can stop him, they don't have anybody they should be able to beat the Pacers just for that reason alone. And he played well uh, in that game, you know, but it wasn't the, what he saw, what we saw tonight out of Giannis. To me, the most impressive uh, thing tonight was the amount of free throws he was hitting uh, consistently. I mean, he, he didn't go like 10 of 26 or something. He had 22, 23 free throws without looking at the box score. He had a ton of free throws tonight. And if this dude hits free throws, you know, let's say he hits free throws at a 70% clip. By the time we get to the postseason, if he's shooting a 70% clip, This is going to make him way more difficult to deal with come the playoffs if Giannis can keep this up at the line yeah he shot a career high 32 free throws tonight which
2: that's what happens when the pacers don't have anybody to guard him last in the last game they used a lot of Aaron Neesmith on him this game they mix and match but when Giannis is bigger when he's stronger when he's faster than everybody's guarding he's going to get to the free throw line because he gets to his spots he gets to favorable positions and then you see the force the pacers are forced to follow him and send him to the line but it's always great he always has I mean 24 for 32 he missed a several down the stretch. Cause I think at one point he had only, he was like 12 or 14 or something like that, but it's, it's always nice to see him when, when he starts knocking these down because otherwise he kind of flirts with that line of, is it, a, is it the right move for the opposing teams to follow him and send him to the line? Hope that he only makes one, but yeah, seeing these performances from him is, is good and hopefully something that he can build upon.
1: You are the film analyst, obviously at bucks film room on Twitter. If you don't follow Uh, Brian Sampson on Twitter, uh, you're a fool because he does a lot of great breakdown stuff that I think you will really, really enjoy and I value his opinion as well. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about pick and rolls and what we thought was going to be the case coming into the year, which was Giannis and Lillard dominating versus kind of how this has played out and the combinations that are working for the Bucs, in your opinion, uh, better than what we've seen from Giannis and Lillard to this point.
2: Yeah, Giannis and well, so Brooke Lopez, anytime we're talking about pick and rolls, he's at the center of it. He yep. is the preferred pick and roll partner for both Giannis and Damian Lillard. And and part of that, or the biggest reason is he sets such great screens. He's what, seven one, seven two. I don't want to overweight him, but like 280 pounds or something like that. When he gets into those guys, especially you think of the smaller guys who are guarding Lillard, when he gets into them, you can't get around him. He's wide. He sets a really good screen. He's very intelligent About how he sets his screen. If you pay attention, he rarely sets it where he's very where he's perpendicular to the man. His screens are more flat, which give Giannis and Dame a little bit more creativity and leeway to pick which way they want to go. And then he'll quickly slide and turn it. He does get caught on some of these screens. You know, we see quite a few moving screens from him, um, but that's just part of it. But yeah, anytime we're talking pick and roll, he is both the preferred partner for Lillard and Giannis at this point, at least when. Giannis is setting those screens and I think Dame is still trying to figure this out. He likes to leak off of them. He barely makes contact or just goes there and then ghosts them and tries to cut to the hole. So they're still trying to figure that part out. I would like to personally see him go into Brooke Lopez's playbook a little bit more and set really good contact screens, let Dame get downhill and then Giannis can join the action. But we'll see how this partnership goes. We're only what, 25, 24 games into the season. We'll see if if they can grow it, I would like to see them spam it a little bit more just so they can get more reps or even do a dribble handoff from Giannis to, to Lillard. Cause a lot of times when Giannis has the ball, his man will be playing off, not respecting the shot. And that's a perfect time to go into that dribble handoff because all of a sudden you set the screen and your man's down in the paint. Lillard can come off the, come off the screen or the dribble handoff and catch and fire away. But a lot of time to work on that. They just aren't really aren't nearly where everyone thought they'd be at this point.
1: How much of that do you think is, is coaching? I mean, are are they really going to have to coach these two up as far as how they need to play this together? Because I think the assumption was these are two top 75 players of all time. They they're going to figure out how to play together. Like it doesn't because when Terry Stotz quit and left, I was like, man, this is, this is not good. This, he was the the maestro of this offense and Nathan Marzian and everybody else said, Sparky, just chill out, man. Like they got Giannis and Lillard. They'll figure it out. They'll be fine. They don't, I said, okay, all right, fine. We'll see. But I- I'm telling you here again, because he's been around. He knows the offense that he's running. He knows the keys to making this thing work. Him not being there and having Joe Prenti, who again, was with Jason Kidd and everybody else and ne- wasn't necessarily running what Sots was running. They've had to make adjustments, I'm sure, to this offense as time has gone on here. But when you're being technical and nitpicking as far as what you want to see and what would make it more effective to me. I go back and I look at the coaches and go, okay, well, are we going to coach this up to be this way? Or are we going to sit, you know, with our hands underneath our legs and hope these two guys figure it out on their own? Because you just heard Giannis the other day talking about, well, we haven't had a lot of practices. I mean, this is kind of screwing us up with the schedule the way it is. Well now they're home for what six straight games. So they're going to get a bunch of practice time in here because now they don't play again until Saturday, right? So you have Thursday, Friday, and now you play back-to-back Saturday, Sunday, and then you get a break again. Uh, So hopefully these practices will lead to that. But for me, when you start talking about that type of stuff, that to me is coaching um, and getting on. And I don't care that they're superstars one way or the other. They have to be able to accept coaching uh, and the willingness to try to get better, to make this thing better.
2: Yeah. One of the hardest parts is being outside of the locker room or outside of the team. It's just, you're, you're trying to make guesses, right? Or educated guesses. My guess is that losing Terry stats a week before the season hurts, losing any coach a week before the season hurts, Especially when he was charged, he's brought to the staff to run their offense. um, And he's, he's the only head coach that has experience. I mean, I'm not counting Joe Prunty's time where he ran the box and. Yep. And then with the Hawks too, I think he had a couple of games there. So stats is the only coach on the, on the staff with any head coaching experience. And then you add in his familiarity with Dame and everything. So I, I think that was a big loss. I think that's part of why we need to give them a little bit of time to work things out for those reasons. That you talked about. We'll see how it goes. I mean, their offense is what third in offensive rating so far or something like that this year. So they are humming along. It'd be great to see them come or hit that next level. I also want to just see how, what their long-term plan is. Cause a lot of times what you see in December, in November, is just just setting you up for the next progression for April, May, you know, what they're doing now is going to set their base for, all right, teams are scouting this look, but then they're going to have another option off of their offense or different plays like that or different sets. So I kind of want to see how that goes, but yeah, I think just overall, we thought that especially Giannis and Dame would be at a different level than what they are at now. I think it was, a couple weeks ago, Lillard talked about how he goes over to Giannis's house to watch film all the time. So we know they're putting that work in. We know they're committed. We just have to see where they take it on the court.
1: I'm being arrested in knowing who's the teacher, who's the pupil in this situation. As far as is Lillard teaching Giannis stuff that maybe Giannis isn't thinking about and giving him ideas in different situations of what to do. Uh, And is Giannis maybe teaching Lillard stuff of what he likes to do, where he likes to be, and kind of helping Lillard understand, like, okay, this is where Chris likes to be in this moment. This is where I like to be in this moment. Brooke loves being here, you know, in this situation, because that is part of it too, right? Because you're the point guard. And again, on this team, that doesn't mean much necessarily because Giannis is bringing up the ball, Middleton's bringing up the ball. I mean, you got everybody and their mama initiating the offense outside of Damian Lillard. But the one thing that I keep seeing from a lot of people is they feel like Lillard's being passive uh, at times uh, in, inside of this offense. And to me, I go back to the Miami Heat days when they had LeBron, Wade and to start and they were struggling to find their identity that first year um, and then eventually ended up losing uh, you know, that title game to Dallas. But Because there was a struggle of whose team was it, who's supposed to do what, when, and so forth, uh, and trying to let everybody else do it. Do you think there's some of that maybe going on? They both deny it, obviously, publicly. But do you think Lillard is still trying to kind of fit in more than anything else?
2: Yeah, I think he's trying to figure out his place for the first time in the NBA and probably for the first time in his entire life. He's not the best offensive player on his team that takes adjusting. I mean, he's what 33 years old. So for the first time in three decades, he is looking to defer to somebody who is more talented offensively. We've seen it work where Giannis really takes that, what, first 40, 43 minutes to dominate and then it comes Dame time, the last five or so minutes. That seems to be how they figured it out so far. What I've been impressed with Lillard is how smart he is at just making the right read and not forcing anything. He just takes what the defense gives him. When Giannis is setting the screen, defense can't take away everything, and so he's done a great job of dishing when that passes there, using his other teammates, but then also being aggressive when the time calls for it. He's usually a slow starter to begin the season, and we've seen that this year. So I wonder if that has to, has part, um, if that plays a role as well with. He's kind of figuring things out, knowing that it'll take his legs some time to get under him. We've seen his shooting come back now, um, with the exception of these last two games. But really, I think he's trying to figure out where does he fit in the grand scheme of things and how can he assert himself outside of that final five minutes or seven minutes or whatever. And part of that was him telling Adrian Griffin that he wanted to play the whole first quarter. At the beginning of the season, he wasn't doing that, and then he went to Coach Griffin said, "Hey, for me, that's really what I prefer." And so now we see every single game. He plays the entire first quarter. Giannis plays the first five or six minutes, subs out for three or four minutes, and comes back in for the final three minutes or so. So I think he's starting to get his feel down as well.
1: Uh, If you're on Twitter following along at Sparky Radio, we're going to end the stream right here on uh, Twitter. If you want to continue to follow the live stream, You can do it on the Odyssey Sports YouTube page. Otherwise, just download this bad boy tomorrow morning. You can hear the rest.
0: Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash taylor tay in the uk it's on the odyssey app thanks to republic records this is a national contest
1: of the podcast then we'll take a quick time i continue on green and growing i want to talk about this bucks defense because it's driving me nuts i'll be honest so we'll do that coming up next Back on Green and Growing, Steve Sparky, Fiverr, 1250 a.m. TheFan.com, along with my guy, Brian Sampson. You follow him on Twitter at BucksFilmRoom. Follow me at Sparky Radio, of course, writer for Forbes and Dairyland Express. Download Green and Growing on your Odyssey app, or if you download your favorite podcast at. And of course, you can stream us live on the Odyssey uh, Sports YouTube page, as we're doing right now. Okay, Brian. The Bucks win. Giannis has 64. Everything is fine and Danny. They get the revenge on the Pacers. Everything's great. This Brooke Lopez stuff, I'm sorry, dude. I'm losing my patience. If I have to watch Brooke Lopez guard a guard one more time, he spends as much time on the perimeter at the three-point line guarding guards as he does down in the paint actually being an effective shot blocker uh, here under this Adrian Griffin-led defense. It's driving me absolutely bonkers. You've watched Bud's defense. You've watched Adrian Griffin's defense to this point. against small sample size with Griffin. I understand. Uh, but I, I much prefer the Brook Lopez and Bud's uh, defensive scheme versus what I'm seeing right now. And I'm fearful that when you get to the playoffs and you start actually really scouting the Bucs and, and making adjustments game in and game out, how effective is he really going to be on the defensive side of the ball if they continue to play this way?
2: Yeah, we'll we'll see. I think there's a lot of evolution that needs to happen with the Bucs defense from where they're at now to where they're going to be in the playoffs, both in the scheme that they're running and Let's see if they can make a move or two to upgrade their defensive backcourt. I think that would go a long way, both with the issues that you're talking about and just their overall defensive output. I think that's really... Um, in my opinion, two of their biggest issues is he's Griffin believes in being really aggressive. That's one of the principles that I think got him this job. Is Milwaukee saw Budenholzer run a very passive defensive scheme, and a lot of times what we see in coaching changes is you go from one end of the spectrum to the other, and the answer is probably usually somewhere in the middle. It's probably not a very passive defense. We probably don't need a very aggressive defense. We probably need to mix and match and find that answer in the middle, and so I think that's what we've seen. Griffin tried to do a little bit, especially after the start of the season, but there's still work to be done. Uh, a lot of the Bucks defenders still guard five, six feet above the three-point line. Tonight we saw Andre Jackson Jr. trying to pressure Halliburton the length of the court. That didn't work out well on number of possessions, if not every possession. So I think that they still need to find that, that right fit between, all right, what can their personnel actually do, and what kind of scheme does Griffin want to run?
1: This is the thing, though. When he was in Toronto and Matumbo was in Toronto, they didn't have a true center until what the end of last year, or whatever, when they made that deal. They never, they didn't have a Brooke Lopez, a big, you know, slow lumbering seven footer that blocked shots through elbows, you know, and, and try to make space. They didn't have that. They had a bunch of smaller, more athletic dudes that were interchangeable parts that could shift all over the place. So when you play that defense, yeah, but you're playing that defense in large part because you don't have a shot eraser behind you. So now you do have one and you're essentially going to negate him outside of maybe when you go to the 2-3 zone or something, you're going to negate him with all this switching that you're doing and you're going to get him put on islands purposely by the opposing coaching staff to take advantage of a guard on him nine out of ten times, especially when you get to the postseason. That's what bothers me uh, in this whole scenario as far as whether or not he's utilizing his personnel the correct way. Now, again, if they had – I'm just going to pick some dude that's sitting out there on the beach right now watching this. Nerlens Noel, right, who's more athletic, that can move around a little bit better. Okay, fine. Maybe I get down with that if there's a more athletic type big other than Brooke Lopez. But he's not the guy to be playing this defense when he's on the floor. So a lot of what I've what I what I think I've seen them play is
2: switching one through four and trying to keep Brooke out of that switching action. Sometimes that happens where he gets in that, but usually what they try to run is I think a switching action with one through four and Brooke trying to play more than that drop coverage. I think one thing to your point about Griffin is a lot of times when you're a new coach coming into a situation, you're trying to overhaul the scheme because the team was bad, they've had failures. And that's not the case in Milwaukee. They've been the number one seed. They've been the best team in the Eastern Conference for the last half of a decade. And so I think that Griffin needed to do less of an overhaul and more of, all right, we have a foundation or the Bucks have a foundation. They know what works on defense. Let's use that foundation, but then build out from there instead of just tearing the whole house down and trying to start new. Um, I think that's one part that I've been a little bit discouraged by is just this isn't a twenty-win team that he took over. This is a team that was a number one seed. Obviously their playoff results weren't desirable last year, but using what has worked um, what the Bucks had one of the best defenses in the NBA, using that and then expanding from there instead of just coming in and tearing everything down.
1: That don't get me wrong, I I don't mind you know double teaming a guy that's hot uh, and blitzing guys and forcing guys to do different things that isn't aggressive type deal. I, I just the the Brooke Lopez on on guards and we've seen it now several times this year just drives me nuts. Okay, let's move on from that. What about Damian Lillard? When Lillard got here, everybody's is like, oh, dude, he's horrible. Like he's so bad. And and it's like, okay, well maybe he's not great. Fine. And I understand we're coming off a true holiday. That was, you know, kind of that lockdown point guard that everybody thinks is, you know, the, the best defensive point guard in the league or one of the best defensive point guards in the league. So anybody next to him, isn't going to be him. I get that. And even Lillard said at one press conference, he's like, okay, I'm not him, but I'm not horrible. Like everybody's making out to be at this point, you've got what, 25 games or whatever it is to this point to watch the film and really, you know, kind of eye in on him and see what he's all about. What have you made out of his defensive performance to this point, Brian? Two things. One, when
2: he wants to turn up, he can. We've seen a couple of possessions here and there where he really goes at it. He's aggressive. He doesn't have the physicality and the length that Drew Holiday did, which which limits him. You can, when you're guarding a six-five Tyrese Halliburton, and you're what six-two like Damian Lillard is, there's only so much you can do. Or some of these other players. So I've seen a couple of times where he's really competed. He's gone hard. What I haven't seen is him do that with any consistency over a long period of time. I see when I went back and watched the film, I see a lot of ball watching from him where he stands and is watching the ball, probably using that time to rest. Uh, so he can help carry the offense, but then he loses his man on offensive rebounds or his man cut man cuts to the hole because he has his back turned to him. So I've seen a lot of that. That's really been the norm from Lillard is a lot of ball watching, um, but he can turn up in these small spurts. I just want to see him do that for an extended period of time. I also think his defensive deficiencies are, are- – magnified because he's playing next to Malik Beasley, who also sucks on defense like that. I think if he had a good backcourt <laughs> partner, then you can hide him more where here right. it's Beasley's getting exploited. um Lillard's getting exploited. They go back and forth. So I think that's part of the issue too. You know, if you're the one weak link, you're easier to hide. But when you are one of two weak links, it's hard.
1: I've seen a lot of people on social media, Bucks fans, of course, that aren't experts. Um, suggesting that they should just put Beasley on the bench, let him come off the bench and shoot, uh, and put one of these young dudes out there instead in the starting lineup where you don't have to rely on them to score. Your scores are all out there. And just have whoever the best defensive young guy is, put him out there, whether that's Bo Champ or Jackson, or whoever it is, out there uh, and see what they can do going forward, pretty much saying they can't be worse than what they have out there now in Beasley. You've watched these guys as well. If you're Adrian Griffin and Prunty and that coaching staff in Matumbo. Uh, Are you intrigued by maybe doing that at some point to see what it looks like? Or are you just going to play the vets and hope they get better? This is where I clash with most
2: of Buck's Twitter. Um, for the, for me, the young guys, you got to prove it at this 10 to 15 mark before you're going to get a starting job. You can't just think that, all right, this guy's potential. We're going to start him, play him 25, 30 minutes a game. And all of a sudden, he's going to do something that he's not doing right now in his 10 to 15 minute role. So, yeah, maybe Andre Jackson Jr. and Bochamp can become those defensive stoppers, but they have to do it right now in their role and then work their way up. Um, we haven't seen that consistently from them. Compared to Beasley, and I apologize, Beasley. I didn't mean to throw that stray at you earlier. no, not apologize. He
1: tries to... He's fine. I, I, Whatever. I,
2: I think he tries hard on defense, but defense isn't just about wanting. You actually have to have the skills. Like you can't just all of a sudden, all right, I want to be a good shooter. Defense is the same way. But um to my point, so I think that Beauchamp and Andre Jackson Jr. are better defenders than Beasley, but that doesn't mean that they're good defenders, if that makes sense. They're being graded on a relative scale. Um, and we've seen them struggle, like and seen them struggle and we've seen them have some periods of success. Both are true. It's the answer is neither or he's usually never like one or the other. It's always both and. Um, but as far as the young guys go, I want to see them be more consistent in this 10 to 15 minute role before thinking about throwing them into the starting lineup or increasing their minutes.
1: Time with Brian Sampson, of course, writes for Forbes and Dairyland Express. Follow him on Twitter at Bucks Film Room. You can follow me at Sparky Radio. Check out the interviews I do. 1250amthefan.com a.m. Uh, I, I want to talk about Bobby Portis because uh, this is a a dude that we talk about a lot on this podcast. Marzion wants to trade him, wanted to trade him in the offseason. It uh, said he's fine in the regular season, but defensively he's not very good, and offensively he kind of disappears in the postseason. Uh, so let's get somebody that actually can help in the playoffs. I, I want your thoughts on Bobby Portis, number one, just overall what you think. Because one of the things I told Marzion, I might have been on last week's podcast, I said, okay, if you get rid of Bobby Portis and he wants to get a wing defender, my, my point was, okay, well, then who else is going to be that guy that comes out of the floor as a big? Because right now, he's the guy. So you could say he's horrible defensively or whatever, but he's still got size, and Robin Lopez is useless. So he's, like, the only guy that's got some size. And as I told Marzi, I'm like, and he's kind of like the enforcer. So someone's going to get kicked out of a game. I'd rather be Bobby Portis than Giannis if somebody tussles with Giannis or if somebody tussles with Lillard or Middleton. Kick Bobby out. We'll figure out how to play a couple quarters without Bobby. But I don't want one of our stars getting kicked out because they lose their cool. And then tonight you see Giannis kind of gets thrown down, and I don't think it was totally malicious. I mean, the guy was trying to hold him up as he was going down. Portis freaked out, eyes bulging out of his head, and went running over there uh, and wanted to take on the whole Pacers team. And I was just kind of smiling going, good. I mean, that's what you want. You don't want anybody to kind of take advantage of your star. But I, So for me, I guess, I'm not as high on wanting to trade Bobby Portis because I think he serves a role on this team still kind of going forward. Uh, but your thoughts, Brian Sampson? Yeah.
2: So Bobby Portis, he is a, a great culture guy. He's a great connector for this team um, and for the fans too. His teammates love him. He plays hard. He plays with passion. I think he's one of the few guys on the team who brings that energy every single night and has that passion. I think that it's you need some of those guys on your team and Milwaukee, in my opinion is kind of right on the edge. They probably could use another one or two of those guys who bring that energy. So I think that's great. He can rebound well, he can score. That's that's needed, especially with the Bucks bench as it's constructed right now. Um, we, we know he has defensive limitations on the, when they won the championship, he barely played it. What against, was it the nets that he was really out of the rotation and they then didn't play him at all back in, in the latest yeah. series. Yeah. So we know that he has defensive limitations, especially that get exposed in the postseason. season. Um, but your point is exactly my thought too, of if you trade him, then you need another big in return, or you need another big that you can rely on. now they only have, they only run with three guys. So that's really a big, big issue for them is trying to figure out then. All right. If you're going to move Portis, who else is going to step in there and help with that? Um, Jay Crowder has played a little bit of four, but not too much. Uh, you're not going to want him playing that all throughout the regular season. So I would move
1: him, but it'd have to be the right deal. All right. So let, let, let's talk about a couple of other things here. It is we're the fans of the Milwaukee Bucks. They've already got a championship. Damian Lillard was brought in uh, to try and get Giannis to sign another extension. It worked. He signed another extension. Damian Lillard was brought in to help Giannis win his second championship and get Lillard his first championship at this point. Give me a—I don't know, a couple of main points that you think has to happen between now and the time we get to the postseason to put them in a position, whether it be acquiring a player, whether it be – the schematic things that have to change or get better at whatever in order to going into the playoffs. That Brian Samson will be like, they got everything they need. Uh, just go, what you're supposed to do, what you're supposed to do, and, and you should be able to, you know, go finish this bad boy off. Because I'm honest with you right now, I know they're the second best record in the East or whatever it is. Uh, but but I don't feel like a lot of Bucks fans right now feel like this is a championship quality team as we sit here, you know, in the middle of December, even with Giannis scoring 64 tonight. <laughs>
2: Yeah, two things. Number one, they need to adjust their scheme and dial back their pressure. They don't have the personnel to do that. That exposes them. If you're slow, um, not as quick as the person you're guarding, you shouldn't be pushing up on them. You should be trying to shrink the court and defend less space instead of more space. So that's number one. Adjust their schemes. I think Griffin does a nice job of mixing in zone. I think that can be a real weapon, but they need to adjust their man defense. In the postseason, you can't run zone and expect that to be successful over a- over a five, or over a 7 game series. So that's the first thing, dial back your scheme, dial back your pressure. And then the second thing is they need to get an elite defender. If you're going to go through the Boston Celtics, you need another wing defender. They have too much size for Milwaukee to slow down. If you're going to go through the Nuggets in the finals, who's going to guard Jamal Murray? You know, all these all these teams that the Bucks are going to have to go through, the Philadelphia 76ers with Tyrese Maxey, they all have a perimeter guy that Milwaukee can't match up with even if they have the perfect scheme in the world um we've seen horse be very aggressive at trade deadlines in the past he has a Trailblazers' second rounder to really work with that's probably their only deal and then a matching contract with either bobby portis or pat Connaughton. um So I think those two things of number one, dial back your scheme or your pressures. And then number two, you need to get either a guard who's actually good at defense or a wing who's good at defense. And then Beasley can slide to the bench, and I think that'd be a great fit for him. But you need somebody who can play that stopper role
1: on the perimeter. I'm all for trading Pat Connaughton. That's where Marzion and I differ because Marzian's like, oh, playoff Pat, baby. Let's go on in the playoffs. He starts shooting the ball. Okay, fine. But I, I just, I'd i much rather keep Portis. But again, I mean, Connaughton, you talked about that with Portis. I think Connaughton's, as you called it, a connector. Um, I, I think Connaughton is, is the same type of guy, don't you, Brian? yeah.
2: I go back and forth on him. So, yeah, and now, though, he's been in a slump for a year and a half. That's that's <laughs> the difference uh, between him and Bobby Portis. Is Portis has been more consistent. Connaughton has struggled for a year and a half a outside now. of – four games or five games against the heat. So that's the issue is I don't think, I think he's lost a step defensively this year. Um, he's somebody who's kind of in between. He's a little bit switchable, but he can't really guard wings. He's not quick enough to guard guards, not big enough to guard post players or forwards. Um, so I, I'm I'm not saying that they should move him, but I wouldn't be upset if they moved him in the right deal.
1: I would think if they're going to get a really good player, like you're saying, Mo Champ, Jackson, I mean, somebody like that. One of those young guys are going to have to go along with whoever the vet is. And then if it's a second round pick from Portland or whatever, they're going to lose one of their young guys if they're going to try and go do this plus a vet plus a pick or something along those lines. Brian, thanks so much for coming on, man. Uh, and again, follow him on Twitter at Bucks Film Room. Check out all of his great writing for Forbes and Dairyland Express. And uh, we'll have to do this again if, uh, if you didn't hate it too much. And hopefully next time. Uh, Nathan Marzian will be with me uh, to ask some questions too besides myself. And he did have a question that he wanted me to ask, and I almost forgot. So before I wrap this up, I want to get his question in because I asked him, if you have anything, let me know. So he put out a poll question today. Uh, Bucks are currently 22nd defensively. Where do you think they'd be with Drew Holiday instead of Damian Lillard? Defensively, if Drew Holiday was on this team, same scheme, same dude coaching, Adrian Griffin but it's Drew Holiday instead of Damian Lillard. How much better do you think this team would be, Mr. Brian Sampson?
2: That is a great question. I'm just trying to look up because for me it comes down to points and not ranking. So I just am quickly looking up because I saw that poll question actually and thought that it was a very good one. So Bucks are 22nd in defensive rating. Um, I think that they would be – 17th. That'd be a whole point better. I think Drew Holiday would be worth one point per 100 possessions better. So um, I think that they'd be about 17th right now. I think that they still would have issues elsewhere. Um, but yeah, that 17th is where I'd put them at.
1: So this poll has been up for, I don't know, 11 hours or whatever it is. It's got almost 3,200. 200- of uh, votes at this point you said 17th right so that'd be 16th to 20th his options Nathan Marzahn you can still vote uh at least for another 13 hours and right now it's 10:40 at night on uh Wednesday night top 5 6 to 10 11 to 15 16 to 20 i'll vote 16 to 20 and that is 10% 40% of the people said they would be between 6th and 10th defensively uh 37% said between eleven and 15 why don't you think this team could be a top 10 defense by simply switching out those two.
2: Yeah, I think it's just hard. So I'm looking at it. So if they were to move down to 10th, that'd be three points per 100 possessions. For me, that just seems a lot for one player. I mean, we know Drew Holiday is great. They're going to move into sixth. That all of a sudden becomes five points per 100 possessions. So for me, that's just – that's what it's about. Like, I think they'd be improved, obviously. Um, But I think that I would still – and I've, I spoke about it a little bit on this um, here is the two issues of the scheme and the personnel. Drew Holiday's is a great defender. He would help with some of that, but they still then are trying to run that same scheme with the rest of the personnel that doesn't fit. So definitely would be better. Um, it just comes down to me of how many points I think one player can save.
1: Man, offensively, he, He'd cost you a bunch because he's not the score that obviously Lillard is. And again, that's the trade off, right? So you're going to get more points from that position, but you're also going to give up more points from that position. Um, and then it's just, is it worth, do you get more scoring than you do give, you know, giving up? And that's the trade off they had to decide on. And I'm sure they decided that Lillard's going to score more than he's going to give up. And that's why part of the reason why they made the deal. Uh, again, at Bucks Film Room, follow Brian Sampson and uh, hopefully we'll get him on again throughout the course of the season. Appreciate you so much, Brian. Thanks a lot for coming on, man. Appreciate it.